Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Anytime she's back, we're glad to see her. Amen. Amen. As the children are being dismissed, again, we are so honored to have Pastor, Sister McLaughlin, Blake, Jenna. We're glad to have all of you with us. And I told Pastor, when we turn it to him tonight, it's up to him. Uh, if he wants to have Blake come and get on the keyboard and have another worship session, we'll do that. Whatever you want to do, Brother uh, Pastor McLaughlin. We want you to come and take your liberty, all right? Let's give Brother McLaughlin a hand as he comes. Amen. We're going to take his liberty tonight. Amen. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord Jesus Christ and give him praise in this house. Can we do that together? The Bible said, clap your hands, all your people, and shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have something to say in this house. Some of you need to tell hell some things in this house. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if God be for us. I feel victory in this house tonight. I feel victory in this house tonight. Hallelujah. What a distinct privilege and honor to be with your pastor and your pastor's wife. Um, this, this is a high honor. Like This is a treat. This is, this is a privilege. Now, we, we came and uh, have enjoyed ourselves immensely. We flew into D.C. and uh, had a little time there. It was wonderful. Got here and just absolutely enjoyed connecting with the Sylvias. I mean, I don't know if you guys know, you know, Blake's got this little interest in, in Claire. Uh, I don't know if y'all are aware of that, you know. He's from Texas. Every once in a while you see him around here, you know, the spirit has led him. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit. It may be the Claire spirit. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's reciprocated because all of a sudden it's like she'll show up in Texas. And I'm like, Claire, I'm so thankful you came to hear me preach. We've, we've enjoyed ourselves. We, we enjoyed being at the Sylvia's house, the family, the fellowship. Um, love Claire to death. I think, she, think she's absolutely incredible. And, and, then, and then just the privilege and the honor to be in church with you tonight. The distinct honor to be with Brother and Sister Staten. Um, obviously, their reputation precedes them. Everything that they've accomplished in the kingdom of God. You know this, but it's often good to hear an outside voice say it. Your pastor and pastor's wife are incredible, and you're highly, highly privileged to have a man of God. I'm just going to be myself here tonight, okay? It felt so good to hear him pastor just a minute ago. It was like, oh. Man, this feel it was therapy to me a moment ago when he's just laying down the lawns like get off the back wall, you know, and, and I'm like, God, this feels so good to hear someone else do this and I don't have to do it. 
Oh, you ministered to me already, man. It felt so good. You know, and he's like, look, you guys have a problem. Come see me. Don't give with it. I'm like, I love his leadership style, man. This is good stuff here. This is good stuff. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And then your youth pastor, is that correct? Youth pastor and wife. This young man was a, a camper in Indiana. I was preaching. I don't know if it was when I was preaching with Jimmy, Tony, or there was one other time, but the call of God. Uh, I will remember vividly being at that altar, praying together, and tears running down your face and answering the call of God. And now to see the tremendous work of God that's going on. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So good to see you and very good to meet your wife. I'm honored to have my family with me, um, my wife, my daughter, one of my sons, of course, Blake, my other son at home. I heard some translation going on, fired me up a little bit. We started, we launched Calvary Espanol. And so we've got translation every service. We have two o'clock Spanish service. Amen. So, ¿cuánto dice Gloria a Dios? A su nombre. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. That and tu quieres comida is about the only thing I know. <laughs> that means food. <laughs> Glory to God and give me some food. <laughs> it's Wednesday night. It's an honor to be in the house of the Lord with you. I, I try to follow the pattern. I know typically I think it's teaching. And so I definitely will begin in that vein. If we teach, preach a little bit, we'll just, just follow the Holy Ghost. Let's see where it goes. Let's see, see where the Holy Ghost leads us. I do feel very locked in to what I'm supposed to teach slash preach. Um, felt this about three weeks ago. And, uh, and I, I do want to speak to you. From an educational standpoint, my background is in leadership. My, my master's is in leadership. My doctoral degree is in leadership, uh, doctor of education with a concentration in leadership. And so you're going to hear a lot of leadership um, information coming out of me. And, and this is what I believe. This is what I believe with all of my heart. I believe that everybody is a leader. Everybody is a leader. In a leadership pipeline, the first level of leadership is learning to lead yourself well. And so in terms of leadership, you have to even begin leading yourself well. And there are at least five to six character qualities that are comprised in leading yourself well. There are also corresponding competencies that complement that character. And oftentimes where people get in trouble, where a church gets in trouble, where a family gets in trouble, where an organization gets in trouble, is when they focus and emphasize the competency of an individual. They know how to do it right. But man, their character stinks. They gossip, they slander, they lie, you can't trust them. It's like, well, look, if, if leadership doesn't work well at home, don't export it to the public. <laughs> Go back to the basement, pray, get your character right. Then we'll work on your competencies and we can have some revival together. Amen. Can we clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise? So I want to talk to you from my heart. I want to talk to you from my heart. It's, it's from this thought, the best way to fail at leadership. 
the best way to fail at leadership. Let me read a scripture to you tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king. So the context of this passage is where he has gone in, and you know the story. He was supposed to kill Agag. He didn't. He spared him. He was supposed to kill all of the Amalekites. He failed to do so. He spared what he thought was appropriate to spare um, and thought that he could convince God to come over to his side, um, and he failed utterly at this. And so, and so this, this little statement here about Saul is on the heels of his disobedience. The Lord said in verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed, what's the next phrase say? He did what? Who did he set the monument up for? He who was building self-made monuments. Notice, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. So my subject tonight is the best way to fail at leadership. If you want to be a failure at leadership, I'm going to tell you how to do it. <laughs> there are four behaviors. I'm going to identify these four behaviors. Then we'll pray together. Number one, if you want to fail at leadership, focus on titles, not towels. If you want to fail at leadership, focus on celebrity status, not servant status. If you want to fail at leadership, focus on personal crowns, not spiritual coverings. If you want to fail at leadership, Focus on building monuments, not altars. Let's pray together before you're seated. Would you help me pray tonight? God of heaven, we love you. Giving you honor and praise tonight, God, you alone deserve. You're so faithful. I pray, God, that you would speak to the hearts of your people tonight. I pray, God, for this church. I pray for every leader. I pray for those that have so much potential inside of them. It needs to be pulled out, Lord. And I'm asking you, God of heaven, to shape, form, fashion, and develop your character in all of us. Oh, God, we give you honor tonight. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing in honor of the word. You may be seated. The best way to fail at leadership is to have a leadership lean. In Pisa, Italy, the renowned Leaning Tower of Pisa is known for its four-degree lean. In height, it's 183 feet, three inches from the ground on the low side. 
But on the high side, it's 185 feet, 11 inches. The tower did not start out leaning, but developed a lean during the construction in the 12th century due to soft ground that could not properly support the tower's weight. It worsened through the completion of construction in the 14th century. I think it's safe to say that strong foundations matter in leadership. Unlike the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the, uh, the Sears, or now the Willis Tower in Chicago, Illinois, boasts of having 110 stories. It rises a quarter mile in the air, and it stands an astonishing 1,454 feet high. It's constructed of 76,000 tons of steel and enough concrete to build an eight-lane highway five miles long. This mammoth structure is eight times the size of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and it stands secure. It refuses to lean even an inch. The reason is that it has a firm foundation. Beneath the Sears Tower or Willis Tower, 114 solid rock footings sink deep into the underlying bedrock. Just one of those footings is as deep as the Statue of Liberty is high. The foundation firmly holds this superstructure in place. No wind and no storm has ever succeeded in toppling it or the 1,600 people who work safely within its walls. They built it to succeed. Author Greg Johnson states in his book, a leader's character is like the foundation of a building. It, if, if it is not strong, if it is not deep, if it is not firmly fixed in place, the man's life, all that he has built, will eventually fall. And then he goes on to say, and I echo his words because I believe that it's very relevant in Pentecost right now. It does not matter how anointed he is. It does not matter how attractive his ministry is. It does not matter how powerful his gifts are. Without character, everything threatens to collapse. We don't need people into titles. We need people into towels. It doesn't matter what title you hold or the position that you hold. It matters at the end of the day if you can still wash somebody's feet. It matters if you can just stack up the chairs. It matters if you can get off the back wall. It matters if you can be a servant in the house of God and have enough character that it will sustain you when the winds of adversity come and when the the storm blows and you're confused and chaos is ensuing but there you are standing strong because you built a foundation that says I got in the church to stay and as for me in my house as for me God I feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight I feel like God is strengthening somebody's foundation, somebody's character, and whatever the enemy has told you, you are not a cyclical backslider. It's not a seasonal issue with you. You're not going to backslide just because you have a bad hair day. You're not going to backslide just because the devil's been on your back a little while. Shake him off, put him back in his place, and make up your mind to live in victory with Jesus Christ. Oh, can we clap our hands and give him praise tonight? 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. No temptation has ever overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Can I say this tonight? With higher levels come higher devils. Advancement, enlargement, and promotion in the kingdom of God bring fiercer temptations, harsher attacks, and greater opportunities for destruction. But character shaped and forged in the furnace courageously overcomes the temptation, humbly outlasts the attacks, and wisely escapes the enemy's destructive plans. The word character, you ready for this? It's profound. The word character in the Greek is character. Literally. The spelling is different, but it's the same. This is what it means. It means an engraver's mark or an engraver's stamp. In other words, there is the engraver which automatically infers that there is the engraved. There is the object, but then there's the subject. The object is God and God is looking for a subject. The engraver walks up and down the aisles of the church looking for some raw material and he's saying, can I put my stamp on you? Can I put my anointing on you? Can I put my calling on you? Can I place my gift inside of you? It doesn't come from within us. The engraver has to put something on the subject and we become subject to the object. We don't own the gift. We manage the gift. He's the owner of the gift. We can't. We don't have the power and ownership to do anything outside of what he allows us to accomplish. We need the engraver in this house tonight to walk up and down these aisles. And I'm just telling you, I don't care what kind of scars you have. I don't care what kind of past you have. I don't care what kind of battles you've come through. When the engraver steps into your life. I said when the master steps into your life and takes raw material and said, I know where that scar is, uh, but let me go ahead and engrave something over on, on top of it and superimpose my name on it. Uh, you no longer belong to that label. You no longer belong to that identity. You're now mine, and I put a brand new identity in your life. You're not an always recovering alcoholic. You're not an always recovering drug addict. You've been set free. I said you've been set free. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You've got the engraver's mark on you. What do you think happened when you were baptized in the name of Jesus? Engraver's mark. What do you think happened when you spoke in tongues? Engraver's mark. What do you think is happening when you walk in a life of sanctification and standards of holiness? Engraver's mark. It's just saying that I'm subject to him and he has control over my life. Can we clap our hands and give him praise? He's the engraver. It's character. Our character is shaped by the stamp, the endorsement of the engraver. Engraver's marks were used to identify the quality of an object. You could look at 
You can look at several objects. Similar, perhaps similar to, if you ask my daughter, this is for sure true. Depends on what name's on the purse, what name's on the shoes, what name's on the suit. Okay, so this is a little side issue, and then I'll jump back on. I've had all kinds of suits, and I'm just going to tell you something. That Kohl's suit that you can put in that suitcase and take it anywhere and open it up, and there are no wrinkles. Thank you, Lord. I don't need Hugo Boss. I don't, just give me a suit that I can, I really don't care. You with me? But, but in this case, the engraver's name spoke of where you were. It's important to take on the name of Jesus in baptism. If you only have father, son, that's not even a name. So there's not even any value applied or projected onto the subject. But when you take on the name, the name that is above every name, the name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, that means that when he puts his name on you, you're not trash. You're not a second-class citizen. You're not damaged goods. You're not left over. You're not isolated in a room somewhere. You are superior in the eyes of God. You've got his name. You have his spirit, and you have his inheritance coming. Can we give him praise today? Can we give him honor in this house? He's a good God. He's a good God. Character is shaped by the hand of God who etches every, his every nature into the power of a leader. Raw character becomes proven character through the development of going through the testing time. And this is why Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering. We don't like it. We don't want it. We despise it. We put a no trespassing sign in our front yard and say, suffering, don't come to my house. But it doesn't listen. And suffering barges through the door. And God says, okay, then I'll use you to polish that proven character in my child of God. So those of you that are going through a suffering and a sifting time right now, just know that that's in the hands of God and he uses it to polish. He uses it to take you from raw character to proven character. Amen. He's putting some, he's putting some peers inside of you so that when the winds of adversity blow later on, you're able to sustain those winds of adversity. Amen. Don't complain what's happening right now. God knows what he's doing in your life and he's got a powerful ministry and a powerful cost ministry and that's why he allows suffering to come in right now because you got to deal with it right now so that so that what's coming can receive your anointing in the future if you don't go through this it'll never be able to receive what's coming in the future that's why Jonah had to go through the suffering storm because Nineveh would not be able to receive him any other way yes God anoints you and then he prepares a place to receive that anointing and suffering is part of the process to build the character so you can sustain an apostolic ministry in your assignment. This is apostolic leadership. God, as the builder, counselor, and architect, wants your foundation to be so strong that you'll be able to sustain Category 5 hurricane winds and remain steady. 
failing leaders, you've seen them. As I'm talking, you, in your mind, you'll make some mental marks and you'll go, that one, that one, that one, that one. Failing leaders, focus on titles, not towels. How do you know the difference between title leaders and towel leaders? Title leaders are controlled by what's called transactional submission. Towel leaders are defined by transformational submission. There's a distinct difference. Let's take a look at these differences. Transactional submission occurs when we view submission as a price to be paid now for a reward later. Transformational submission occurs when we view submission as our reasonable service to the Lord. Transactional submission is the reward is often in the form of ministry opportunities, perceived favor, and or personal validation. In other words, I'll show up and take care of the dirty work because if I do the dirty work long enough, I'm going to get to sing the special. Well, automatically that's a character flaw because you're looking for an opportunity and a title more than you are a towel. What that attitude needs to do is get a towel in their hand and just start doing the work around the house of God and say, if God wants to push me forward, God will push me forward. Be careful that you don't become a transactional leader as opposed to being transformed by the power of Almighty God. We don't do what we do so that we can climb the ladder. We do what we do so that that we can glorify Jesus Christ. And as we glorify him, he'll open the door in his time. He'll open the door. You don't want him opening up a door if you have character flaws and you step through that door prematurely and you deal with veteran spirits that you've never had to deal with before and you get your head knocked off and you're disillusioned in leadership. You say, I don't want any part of that. Well, probably what happened is you missed a, uh, missed a step back here and it wasn't properly developed. And somewhere, leaders who are into titles, they think in terms and they think through the lens of transactional submission. Transformational. The reward is knowing that you're obeying and pleasing the Lord through submission. Transactional. <clears throat> the reward is often, excuse me, the thought process is, I will submit, I'll follow, and I'll serve. If I do this long enough, I'll get opportunities to preach. I'll get opportunities to lead. I'll get opportunities to be full-time in the ministry, and I'll receive honor. Transformational submission, the thought process is, I will submit, I'll follow, I'll show up, I'll serve, because I love God. I want to please Him, and I want to contribute to the kingdom of God with no strings attached. God baptize us with transformational submission to the headship of Jesus Christ. Transactional submission. The problem with this mindset is that the rewards may never come. And if they do, they may not come the way that you feel they should come. Transformational submission. Though you may have dreams and desires for the future... You do not treat your present ministry as a mere prerequisite for something bigger down the road. Transactional leadership is an effective breeding ground for bitterness, disillusionment, walking away from ministry, and maybe even backsliding. 
transformational submission. The blessing is that we put ourselves in position to accept whatever God chooses for our future. Transactional submission. The reason for this is because when you make payments for something and you don't receive what you thought you paid for, you feel cheated. But transformational submission is when we truly submit and we are giving the Lord an opportunity to place us in a difficult and uncomfortable situation that maybe we would not have even chosen. But God somehow allowed it to come into our lives. Please hear me right now. Some of you may be like Joseph and you lost your coat of many colors. And you feel like you've lost your identity because you don't have that coat on anymore. If God takes something away from you, he always replaces it with something better. And as long as you're grieving over the coat of many colors that was lost, you'll never be able to reposition. You'll always be looking in the rearview mirror. Well, can I tell you, the the rearview mirror in a car is nice, but it's pretty small. We need it, but it's pretty small. What we really need to be doing is looking out the front window, which is much larger, because the future is much brighter than the past. And God has a royal robe coming for somebody in this house. You may have lost the coat of many colors, but God knows how to bring an Egyptian woman and say, I need you to get a needle and thread and start sewing a coat together, a royal robe together, second only to the king. I feel like God is advancing someone in this house, uh, and you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. It looks like a demotion. It looks like you're going backward, but you are not going backward. God is setting you up for success. He is setting you up for a royal robe. You may as well go ahead and rejoice. If you want the pinnacle, you got to go through the pit. If you want your destiny, you got to go through the dungeon. But God is working on your side. He knows. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody's coming out of the pit. Somebody's coming out of the pain. Don't focus on that title. Get the towel in your hand and serve like you've never served. Oh, can we give him praise? Hallelujah. God have mercy. Failing leaders, focus on celebrity status, not servant status. Successful leaders, Serve their way to greatness. <laughs> I've pastored so long, the pastors, the pastors want to come out in me, and I'm not. A, can I just say one thing, girls? Listen to me. Listen to me, Linda. <laughs> If that joker can't show up to prayer meeting, if that joker comes walking in like he's all that and work's going on in the church and he walks right past all the work because he's all that, don't give him the time of day. He's into a title, not a towel. He will be disillusioned and he'll mess your life up. Can I get some help in this place? I'm just telling you, God knows where you are, 
Amen. If he's into celebrity status, not servant status, don't give him the time of day. Yes. The word servant is used 452 times in the King James Version, 373 times in the Old Testament, 79 times in the New Testament, 452 times in the KJV. Its numerous uses speak of its value and its importance. Jesus makes a statement concerning servant leadership that functions as an accountability anchor. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Notice what he says. When one's servant leadership aligns properly to authority and understands that no amount of success endorses trying to climb above the master, a metamorphosis or a transformation occurs. You know what I'm talking about. It's the caterpillar that's just inching along, inching along, inching along. But then there's that season in life where the caterpillar goes into the cocoon. And all of a sudden, everything in life itself is claustrophobic and closing in. I can't even see out. I don't need, I feel like I'm, it's supposed to, I'm supposed to be flying. I'm supposed to be impacting the world. And it feels like I'm trapped in this cocoon. It's part of the process. Hold on. Keep on serving. Don't think in terms of celebrity status. <clears throat> think in terms of servant status. And when you go into that cocoon, something starts transforming in there. All of a sudden, those little legs that were just inching along, inching along, now all of a sudden, wings start to shape. And when that cocoon breaks open, it's no longer the caterpillar that's inching along. It's this absolutely incredible butterfly that's flying through the air. God is not going to keep you inching along in your life. Some of you that feel frustrated and trapped like life is going too slow for you. That's all right. Let God put you in that cocoon. When you're in the middle of the cocoon, submit to the transformation. God will change things in you before he does things for you. He's never going to do anything for you until you submit to his changing in you. But once he makes the change in you, then he's going to do things for you on the outside. So get in your cocoon of worship. Get in your cocoon of prayer and fasting. Get in that cocoon and find a contentment in the Holy Ghost and begin to praise God. God. And in the middle of your praise, destiny comes about. In the middle of your praise, all of a sudden the cocoon breaks open and you start going places and accomplishing things that you would have never been able to accomplish. Uh, just inching along, inching along. But this is what servant leadership does. This is what it accomplishes. This is what servant status accomplishes. In fact, if you pursue servant leadership, it will accelerate you much faster than if you're seeking celebrity status. Yeah. Notice what he says. The disciple becomes like his master. Servant becomes like his Lord. To be, to be like his master and to be like his Lord through servant leadership is about transformation and destination. <clears throat> this, this term servant, in the Old Testament, the term slave is used. So notice this, this transformation that occurs. Old Testament is slave. New Testament is servant. In eternity, slave that became servant becomes bride of Christ. 
This is what he's saying. If you serve me, you're known as a servant now. Just keep serving me on earth because when you get to heaven, all servants are transformed into my bride. Transformation and destination are comprised within the heart of servant leadership. When you serve, you're transformed. When you're transformed, you walk in destiny. And in that destiny, I'm no longer going to be a servant. I'm going to be a bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, sir. Servant leadership has destiny behind it. That's why the best thing that you and I could do and the greatest title we could ever hold is servant of the Lord. Servant of the Lord. He said, if you'll be my servant, you're going to be just like your master. And Jesus said, beloved, it hath not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Servant takes on this bride of Christ. So listen to it. It's Revelation chapter 19, verse 5 through 7. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. Watch this. Servants. In the middle of this heavenly worship, servant becomes bride. You think it's a menial task to come up and clean the church? You think it's a menial task to whatever, whatever you're called upon? Just think in terms of this little menial task right now is going to be transformed into the bride of Christ throughout all eternity. And servants who were transformed to bride will be next to the groom, Jesus. And throughout all of eternity, heaven will be focused on servant who became bride. I want to be a servant. I want to be a servant. I want to be his bride. I want to be his bride. I am engaged right now. Uh -uh. Oh, no, he is mine. I am his, and I am loyal to him. He is all that I need, and I am going to meet the Lord, and I will forever be with him. I'll serve him, and I'm going to get to become his bride in heaven. Listen. All you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his wife, or his bride, has made herself ready. According to Harris, in his book, Slaves for Christ, a New Testament metaphor for total devotion to Christ, the word servants in this context is douloi, which is the plural form. In other words, this is what he says, a worldwide redemption that describes the growing progress of the final outcome of servant leadership is seen when servants are transformed into the bride of Christ. The servant-turned-bride will stand beside the groom and become the focal point of all of heaven. Worldwide servants. Tonight in Euless, Texas, Cade Hendrick is preaching. You know what he's doing? That's our church. He's one of our pastoral assistants. He helps me in the ministry. And what's going on there is he's getting servants ready. If the trumpet were to sound right now, if the trumpet were to sound right now, you and I are transformed from servant to bride. 
We need to give him praise. I don't care about celebrity. Forget celebrity status. Forget ce- You want to talk celebrity status, let's go to heaven together. When we get there, when, that's when celebrity status occurs. We're his bride. Until then, we're nothing more than servants. Servants are great followers. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Notice Romans 1, 1. He's a servant. It's, it's the term doulos. It means to be swallowed up by the will of another. It means to give up all my rights and take on his responsibilities. It means to be swallowed up by his will. Only when he was a servant or swallowed up by the will of God is he then appointed an apostle, one who is sent. But notice being a servant and being an apostle did not cause him to to, to reach a higher level where holiness was no longer necessary it said he was set apart for the gospel of God this is the doctrine of sanctification and holiness and being set apart from the world being a servant and being an apostle embraces holiness does not exempt us from a holiness lifestyle when you are servants of the Lord you embrace the sanctification of the Lord you're not trying to escape the holiness of the Lord amen you fall in love with holiness You don't despise holiness. His bride loves to be holy and pure and chaste, a chaste virgin waiting on her groom. That's what holiness is. It's purity, waiting on the Lord. We embrace this as servants, apostles, being set apart. So where did servant leadership take him? You ready? Where, where did servant leadership take this apostle, Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 in the New Living Translation says this. Instead, I sometimes think that God has put us apostles on display. Oh, they're on display. They're rolling the red carpet out, brother. We are celebrity status. VIP parking. Name on the pew, reserved seating. We are on display. Instead, I sometimes think that God has us apostles on display, like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade. Hmm. Servant leadership. You become a prisoner of war. The end, the tail end. Of the victor's parade. Condemned to die. Anybody want to be a servant leader? You'll be condemned to die. Not a whole lot of people signing up for servant leadership. Want to be an apostle? No general conference. We just supposedly released the five-fold ministry as an apostle. Okay, you're condemned to die. Let's go be apostles. This is what he's saying. Look, Look at what he's saying. We have become a spectacle to the entire world. Watch this. Watch who's watching. To the world. To people and to angels. Three categories that are watching this servant leadership. The world. People. Angels. Paul was called to serve. Doulos and his life along with the other apostles were on display. They were considered the last of all and made a spectacle. In the eyes of the angels, men and the entire world. He said for I think that God has displayed us last. We don't like to be last. Paul said, God has displayed us to be last. 
To be on display was not a famed platform with the red carpet rolled out and trophies being awarded to everybody walking down the red carpet. They were servants, not celebrities. Luke says there was also strife among them. Which of them would be accounted the greatest among them? They, the disciples, were seeking celebrity status. Can I say to this church tonight, celebrities want to know how much before saying yes. Celebrities use others to get on the platform but refuse to show up when it's basement time. Celebrities use people, servants build people. Celebrities want the most followers, likes, money, pictures, and only the pictures that depict the very best. I mean, master photographers and videographers and, and, and just even with the tools on the phone can make it look so good and so right. Have you ever, have you, have you read anything lately that said, man, pastoring a church, we just lost four families. We're having revival. <laughs> we post everything. To, to make a picture that life is great. And, and, and so that's what we do. So then inadvertently what happens when something bad happens in our life, all of a sudden we feel like we are terrible because everybody else has a wonderful life and something must be wrong with me. Let me just tell you something. Behind all of the pictures, is the grass is greener on the other side. Well, it's got to be mowed over there too. Everybody's going to have a bad day. you got to make up your mind. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I do not want celebrity status. I want servant status. I just want to please the Lord. I just want to make him happy. I just want him to be pleased with me. Judas wanted celebrity status and sold Jesus out. Peter wanted servant status and lifted Jesus high. To be displayed as a servant was not showing up in a limo. It was a death march and it alluded to the gladiator games. In Rome, the gladiatorial contests were held in the Colosseum. Located in the middle of the city, the Colosseum was circular in shape with three levels of arches around the outside. In height, the Colosseum was 157 feet tall, which which is approximately today's 12 to 14 uh, foot story building. And it held 50,000 spectators, the Roman Colosseum. Like many modern professional sports stadiums, the Colosseum had box seats for the wealthy and the powerful. The upper level was reserved for the cheap seats in the nosebleed section. Under the floor of the Colosseum was a labyrinth of rooms, hallways, and cages where weapons were stored. The animals that fought the gladiators were in these cages. The gladiators were held in the basement in this labyrinth of rooms, waited for their turn to be displayed. When Paul said, we are the last to be displayed, this is what he was talking about. And his audience and his hearers knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, we apostles are going to be displayed. He said, we're like caged people waiting to go in for the grand finale. And everybody, people, the world, and angels are going to watch how servants conduct themselves in the grand finale. We're displayed to be last of all. As it is with anything, people get bored and desensitized with suspense, horror, and competition. So, you know how it is. New, more graphic shows were necessary to sell tickets and to entertain the mob. Roman emperors would literally ship bears in, rhinos, tigers, elephants, and lions to turn them loose in the arena so that they would fight against the gladiators. 
like a fireworks display. Everyone in the bleachers knew the grand finale is coming. When Paul said that we are last of all, this is what he was referring to. Servants turned gladiator were put on display and they would literally fight the wild beasts in the grand finale. They became a spectacle in the battle. Celebrities would never make it this far because there's too much pain. But servant leaders have made up their mind. Whatever coliseum you put me in, I'll fight to the very end because I did not get in the church to quit. And I did not get into the church to backslide. And I did not get in the church to have my name called. I got in the church to serve. I got in the church to be faithful. I got in the church. And if you want to see a display world, we're going to, listen, the church is in a chaotic time. If there's ever been a time that the world needs to see a grand finale by the saints of God. You and I better show up in the Colosseum and we better have our dancing shoes on. We better have our praise on. We better have our worship on. And we better let the world know, the people know, and angels, both fallen angels and heavenly angels. We're going to worship God and we are going to retain the victory that God has put in our spirit. The church is not going down. The church is going up, and we are on display, ladies and gentlemen. The way you worship is on display. The way you praise in the middle of your storm is on display. Angels are watching you right now. Angels know, hell knows the trial you're going through in your life. Are you just going to fold your arms and quit and throw in the towel? No, you're on display. You're going to let hell know. This isn't taking me out. That trial's not taking me out. That wind of adversity's not taking me out. I'm in the middle of the Colosseum, and you can rest assured I've got victory in my spirit. I've got praise in my spirit. I may be tired. I may be broken. I may be bruised. I may be down, but I've got another song to sing. Can we clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise right now? Come on, church, it's display time. God has you in the middle of a trial to see, are you going to glorify me in the middle of your battle? Are you going to give me praise in the middle of everything you're going through? Yes. He saves us for the very last. He said he's going to make a spectacle of us. The term spectacle is theatron. Literally, it's where we got our word theater. A place for a public show. Strong's Dictionary says this, it's a theater, a place in which dramatic spectacles are exhibited for battle. Metaphorically, it's a man who is put on display to be gazed at and made a sport of. Servant leaders use towels and humility to defeat lions in the Colosseum of apostolic ministry. And I come to number three. Failing leaders focus on personal crowns, not spiritual coverings. Successful leaders live undercover. Notice what he said. A spectacle to angels. It's a theater. In this theater, he said the apostles are on display. The saints of God are on display. And in this theater, there are angels that are watching. Angels are ministering spirits. They are servants of God who are under his covering as their Lord. Their ministry is to submit to his will and serve his purpose. 
Lucifer's problem was wanting a crown rather than wanting a covering. Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covereth or guarded God's glory. When Lucifer lost his covering, he lost his victory. The best way to fail at leadership is to try to succeed without a spiritual covering in your life. And angels are watching right now. And a third of the angels knew what happened when they lost their spiritual covering. When they lost their covering, they lost their glory. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but thank God for women in the church who maintain their covering. Because their covering brings glory. That's why Lucifer is fighting your covering. That's why Lucifer is lying to you and saying, oh, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you trim it just a little bit. Oh, no. Lucifer, you were a covering cherub that was anointed. And you know there's anointing behind this glory. You're not getting my glory. I made up my mind to stay undercover because when I'm undercover, I get his glory. If you want a powerful church, don't compromise your standards. If you want a powerful church full of glory, then you keep your covering. You get under your headship and you keep your covering. That's why Lucifer is fighting you, some of you in your relationship with a pastor, because that's a spiritual covering, and Lucifer wants you to pull yourself out of that spiritual covering so you lose your anointing and you lose your glory. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to the Coliseum, and I'm going to let all of the fallen angels let them know I'm under my spiritual covering. And as long as I'm under my covering, my victory is coming. I said my victory is coming. Come on, church, put your hands together, and let's let God's glory come into this house. It automatically exists in a church who lives undercover. You don't even have to work it up. It's here. It's here right now. Yes. The leader, the leader who lives undercover will finish strong and not destroy a third of the angels following. Did you get that? Did you get that? Failing leaders focus on personal crowns, not spiritual coverings. When people are after personal crowns, they don't mind gathering a following who will become fallen angels with them. Can I just tell you, if there's ever a spirit that works against your covering, it's a spirit of hell. And they may have temporary power for a little bit and they may have a lot of charisma and they may have a lot of influence and they may have a voice and they may make you feel like if you just side with them you're going to be popular. you got to make up your mind I'm not leaving my covering. I'm not compromising who I am. I'm not compromising my name. I'm not compromising baptism. I'm not talk, uh, compromising tongue talking. I'm not compromising holiness. I'm not compromising modesty. I know where my covering is. I, I'm going to live under my covering uh, and I'm going to have great God have mercy don't you tell me you'll grow a church by compromising you will not grow a church you may grow a carnal crowd but I don't want a carnal worldly crowd I want a holy church I want a holy church ready for the rapture we've got to make up our mind to stay under our spiritual covering yes 
Can we clap our hands and give God praise? God, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. There's power to heal your body where the glory is. There's power to set you free in this place where the glory is. But you've got to let that glory minister and touch and strengthen. Listen, Lucifer failed in the theater. And he was made a spectacle. Now we find ourselves in the same theater where angels are watching. People are watching. And the world itself is watching. Men, both worlds are in the bleachers watching the grand finale as the servants of the Lord are called and beckoned into the Colosseum. The two things Lucifer lost were his covering and God's glory. Therefore, by nature, he hates men, he hates women, and he hates churches who live undercover and glorify God. Go back and look at Ezekiel chapter 38. It said he was the anointed cherub that covereth. The anointed cherub that covereth. When he lost his covering, he fights against covering. Did it ever dawn on you that in the garden all the way back in Eden He fought the glory covering on Adam and Eve When he was able to deceive them He stripped them of their covering Their eyes were open They knew that they were gods And they were ashamed that they were naked They were, they were ashamed and felt guilty Because they lost their covering And so by virtue of losing their covering They had to create a humanistic substitute So when they created this humanistic substitute They sewed fig leaves together And we are doing the same thing in the 21st postmodern 21st century As we are sewing things together because we have cut things out of our lives uh, that were supposed to serve as our covering and bring glory and anointing into our life. And now we're trying to have fig leaf church. We're just trying to have humanistic makeup church. We don't need that kind of church. We need Holy Ghost church. We need church that restores what was lost in the garden. And the only way you restore is to get to the last Adam, which is the Lord from heaven that manifested himself in flesh. Notice the first Adam needed the blood of a lamb. We need the blood of the lamb to cover us so that we gain the glory that was lost in the garden. Come on, church. Give him praise right now. The Holy Ghost in you is glory. It's glory. Let's walk it out a little bit. Let's walk it out a little bit. The issue was lordship and headship. Can I say something to you right now? Submission is not suppression. Submission is empowerment. Yeah, submission is not suppression. Submission is empowerment. The 12 disciples, the 12 apostles were submitted to the Lord. He never, he never suppressed them. He empowered them. He said, greater works than these shall you do. He empowered them, but the only way that they remained empowered is to live in alignment and submitted to their Lord. Amen. That's why there is power in submission when men submit to their head, Jesus Christ, and then when a wife submits to her husband. And, and that's why the Bible says that the men are the glory of the Lord. They're glory bearers, but the woman is the glory of the man. Well, why is the woman the glory of the man? Because that woman brings something out of that man that he did not have alone and by himself. He was incomplete. And that's why God brought Eve into his life to be a completer. In other words, you're going to bring glory to that man by completing him. He's insufficient in and of himself. But when I put you together... When I put the first bride and groom together... Well, when I put the last bride and groom together... The church is not suppressed. 
The church is empowered when the church is in submission to Jesus Christ. Somebody give him praise. I said you are an empowered church when you are a submitted church. Woo! That's shouting ground right there, ladies and gentlemen. Can we give the Lord praise together? Can we give him praise together? Oh, we could talk about substitute anointings when you, when you lose your covering. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, that covereth. He covered the, he covered the throne. He was the cherub, not just a number of the cherubims, but he was the man. He was the man. When he moved, music came out of him. Go study, go study it. It said that the pipe, the tablets, the organ were created in him. He didn't have to sit down and play. When he walked, music came out. Oh, he wanted celebrities to have it. When he moved, music came out of him. But he forgot he didn't create his own breath. And the only way wind is coming is when the creator says, I need some wind to move through my instrument. The only reason we get God's glory and we can do anything is because he decided to breathe a little bit and he breathed breath into us. And by virtue of us submitting to our head, something comes out of us. We don't own anything. We just position ourselves for him to move through us. Oh, let's give him praise. Finally, number four, failing leaders. If you want to fail, if you want to fail at leadership, this is what you do. You build a monument to yourself and don't ever build an altar. If you want to succeed at leadership, be an altar builder and forget about the personal monuments. Burn them. Burn them. If they're in your past anywhere, hidden somewhere, you're going to go back to and worship there. And you feel down and out. Because you know that one claim to fame moment somewhere down there, back there. Back in the day. Get beyond back in the day. Burn that thing on the altar. Listen, successful leaders never, ever outgrow the altar of sacrifice. A leader is not successful because he or she visits an altar. A leader is successful because he or she is changed at the altar. 1 Samuel 15, 7, the Bible said, when thou was little in thine own sight, the Lord anointed you king. God anoints people who can stay little in their own sight. That's what he said. God anointed you when you were little in your own sight. Just a few days later, chapters in this man's life, how the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret 
that I set Saul up as king as he has turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments and it grieved Samuel and he cried all night long. He arose in the morning to meet Saul and there it was, a monument. Saul allowed his position to change him. Intoxicated with pride, he went to Gilgal and he made a monument of himself and he neglected the kingdom around him. His failure was what he left alive inside of his heart. And every man's failure and every woman's failure will not be what you killed. It will be what you leave, us, leave alive inside of your life that God told you years ago, kill it, kill it. But somewhere you felt you could twist the word of God and you left alive God, things that God wanted dead. Be careful what you allow to remain alive in your life. It will keep you from new birth in the future. It will blind you from what God wants to do in your future. Kill it when you're supposed to kill it. Monuments are made out of unfinished spiritual business. Saul said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, well, then why do I hear the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Hear me, when ministry is turned into a performance, he said, I performed all that to the Lord. When something switches in a person's mind and spirit, a leader's heart, and ministry is turned into performance, instead of sacrifice, here's what's going to be the end result. Dry shields, wounded spirits, lost minds, and aborted futures. Let me break it down for you. Wait. Saul, this first king of Israel, anointed by God. The scripture says that he had vilely cast away his shield as though it had not been anointed with oil. Back then, they had shields that were made of leather. And they also had these leather shields that were layers of leather. It wasn't just one layer of lambskin. There were several layers of lambskins. And they would, here's what they were, when they went out to battle, they, they would get bloody and so they would take it back and they would get anointing oil and they would wash the blood off. And then they would take it and they would peel back a layer and wash that layer. And then they would peel back another layer and anoint it. They would anoint the layers of their shield. The scripture said that Saul had, as he cast his shield vilely away, as though it had not been anointed with oil. He had a dry shield. And when he allowed his shield to get dry because he became bigger in his own eyes, the Philistine said, the man is dry. He lost his anointing. And anytime you have a dry shield, a wounded spirit will follow. And the Philistines look and say, look, he doesn't even have his shield. And they draw back. Well, when that shield is anointed, you've got layers of protection. You're undercover. But when you're not under your cover and you've disobeyed God, 
your shield is dry because you started performing for the Lord instead of building an altar and sacrificing everything on that altar. And slowly but surely, your life becomes dry. And when your life becomes dry, the shield that once used to deflect all of the, the arrows of the enemy now is easy to penetrate. And perhaps there are layers in your life, things untouched. Oh, you, we're good, man. We're good at surface, surface anointings. But then all of a sudden, five years down the road and ten years down the road, layers are peeled back. Man, you were so good at anointing that outer shield. But you neglected the layers of issues that happened to you. And you were afraid to peel them back. And because you were afraid to peel them back, you dealt with some major issues nobody even knows about. Little did you know that you were positioned in the worst place. arrow and it goes straight through and it hits him it hits him. He, he gets wounded and now all of a sudden this wounded spirit seeks suicide because after all when I've been wounded it's hard for me to see out and just a word here be careful because when there's a wounded spirit, there's also what's called wound attachments. And one wounded person will seek to make an attachment to another wounded person. Because they have this distorted dysfunctional therapy that takes place and a wound attachment occurs. He's got a dry shield. And now the scripture says they remove his head so he's lost his mind. They put it in the house of Ashtoreth. And there in that goddess's house is the head. And his body is hanging on the wall. And that's exactly what hell wants with leaders who fail to build altars. Is the body to be in one place, the church. And your head is in a far distant land separate from the body that keeps you protected the church is the greatest place you'll ever be in all of your life it protects you get in the middle of it get in the middle of the church don't get on the outside of it don't stay on the fringes of it don't come just when you feel like you want to come come when you don't want to come to church that's the most important time to come to church is when you don't want to come to church and you get yourself in the middle of the church and you get yourself in the middle of prayer warriors and you get yourself in the middle of worshipers and don't ever allow your mind to be dismembered from the body of Christ. You stand with me tonight. I want to open the altar.
want to open the altar for anyone who wants to come and take your shield and anoint it fresh with oil. Let God anoint your mind. Let God anoint your thought processes. Please hear me tonight. Hear this preacher. When there is emotional flooding, there is also cognitive distortion. When you can't control your emotions, very unlikely that you're going to make a wise decision. Cognitively, there's great distortion. Just get to the altar. Get to the altar. Will you come tonight? Will you come tonight? As musicians, praise singers, let's build an altar together. Let's build an altar and cry out to the Lord together right now. Put the towel in your hand. Let's pray together. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.